It's Wednesday, October 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser. Happy Wednesday, guys. Hey. They let you back across Pumped the border, man. They let me back across the border. We will talk nice. about my little trip to Canada in a moment. Um, <laughs> we're also going to talk about the IPOs that are happening in the market today and the story from Reuters involving Microsoft founder Bill Gates. But let's start with the story of the day, certainly in our neck of the woods, and that is the government shutdown. Day two of the government shutdown. <laughs> um, the market really doesn't seem to be reacting in an overly negative way. I saw on the news this morning that a bunch of CEOs, including Jamie Dimon, Lloyd Blankfein, you know, some of the big bank CEOs are are in town to meet with President Obama. Um, uh, I don't know, Matt. Is this is this affecting you at all? I mean, when I look at some of the companies that we talk about, I think, wow, there's really no, there's no real significant intersection with the federal government. I know that's not the case with every company, but for some of the companies out there, it's just another day. It's, it's true. But I'll, I'll lead off with this really kind of weird, indirect way the shutdown is is affecting me and selfishly. But we, my wife and I, um, we we actually have a vacation rental in D.C. Okay. And there was a group that was going to stay with us starting this Thursday, tomorrow, uh, who were going to do a, a, a presentation at the, the Native American uh, Museum, the Smithsonian Museum. Yeah. And they had to cancel because of the uh, wow. government shutdown. So I'm just saying, it's weird. I mean, it doesn't really affect me, really, but I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's an example of how it can branch out. You know, how a government shutdown can kind of branch out and, and affect other things. But no, in reality, I don't think, I mean, the market has been seesawing here the past few days, and... I haven't, you know, I look at stocks and I, I see no reason right now to to sell or do anything with stocks based on what's happening uh, in the government shutdown. I mean, there's no there's no talk about. I mean, both sides seem intractable. There's no talk about. Well, you know, here's we're going to make a deal. We're going to make a concession on this. And so until we get to the debt ceiling, which is in a few weeks, and sure, who knows, the government shutdown might last until then or beyond that. Uh, there's not really going to be a lot that I think is going to affect the market or the economy. But Jason, to one of the points Matty alluded to. This is a situation where the longer it goes, the more we see the effects of it. The longer this goes, the more you see people not getting, for example, their social security checks. Um, If it lasts through this Friday, we're not going to have the jobs report coming out. And we may see uh, a little – I don't want to say panic in the market, but that is one of those monthly – uh, data points that the market depends on, and if it doesn't come out on Friday, we may see a little bit of reaction there. Maybe I mean we yeah we depend on that unemployment report. I mean the one solace we can take there is it's not going to be incredibly uh, polarizing one way or another. Right. I think it'd probably modest improvement at best, but um, and I mean will, I, and it will be revised. It, it will be revised, of course. <laughs> Many no times. question there. But I mean I think that. You know, there is, I think, a longer-term implication here, and for right now, people don't really care so much about it. But, but if this goes on for you know even a couple of weeks, I mean, this does result in a lot of federal employees not getting their paychecks. Yes, you know, we talked about it last week on the radio show. They they have to basically deem people essential or non-essential, yep. and the overwhelming majority are non-essential, believe it or not. So that means they don't get paid. Uh, in some cases, maybe they get retroactively paid once this all gets worked out. But I think that that's an example of where if if people are not getting paid, well, that's obviously money that's not flowing back into the economy in some shape or form. But, uh, you know, yesterday at the, the one event that we had here in the Rotunda, I think David Gardner actually put it 
pretty bluntly, and, and I couldn't agree with him more. He said, you know, this is this is a headline. It's something that happens. It's not the first time it's happened. We're dealing with a government shutdown. He's like, but could you imagine if the private sector shut down? That that would be something that the markets would – that would royal the markets. The markets are kind of laughing at this right now because eh, it's nothing new. It's the same old Washington, D.C. gridlock. And I and – I, and to both your points and to Chris's earlier point, you know, it's just the longer this does drag out, you're right. When when we don't get information like the jobs report, market the market we know hates uncertainty. Yes. And the more we don't, there's more there's a vacuum of information or a vacuum of of what's going to happen with the government, with government spending, with the economy, with the debt, the ceiling, the budget. It, it adds uncertainty to the market. You got to expect volatility. And I mean, to that point, though, isn't that the beauty of how we invest anyway? I mean, we don't really care about these things. Like, yeah. we don't invest based on these types of headlines. If you have your portfolio full of these companies that we recommend in Stock Advisor and One and Rule Breakers and places like that, well, well then I think you're going to be feeling pretty good about this because these headline events don't really matter. And if anything, maybe they provide you an opportunity to add to some of your favorite positions. But you're not investing based on this anyway, so and, it really sh- it's a non-issue, uh, right? And, and just I did I did notice Netflix is hitting an all-time. It's hit an all-time. <laughs> high like the last five days in a row. It's all new all-time high today. I'm just wondering, is this a bunch of government workers hanging at home? <laughs> Tune into Netflix? There's nothing else to do? Catching possible. up on some shows? It could be. I'll just wrap up by saying, Jason, you said there are some federal employees not getting paid, but members of Congress still getting paid. That is just... Uh, still getting their paycheck. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe uh, members of Congress me, should... <laughs> maybe just take... Take the days you're getting paid as long as the government is shut down. Maybe donate that to a uh, yeah, local charity it, in your district. That's, I, I've read where some are doing that. I, I, I just if, – if you're a congressman or congresswoman out there and you're not doing that, man, shame on you. Well, you know, it's, you still, you still have, their, their approval rating is not all the way low. There's still some like 6% of the population I want to know that, that right. likes Congress. So, hey, you know. 6% must be like direct family members. <laughs> Reuters is reporting that – Microsoft chairman Bill Gates uh, is being called upon to step down. This is from three unnamed investors, uh, major stakeholders, major, I follow that up by saying that collectively they own about a 5% stake in Microsoft, which is about what Bill Gates himself owns. Um, And I credit, Jason, I credit Reuters for this story because I think it's important to point out, we're taping this shortly after 12 noon, no one else, to my knowledge, has come forth with uh, separate confirmation of this story. Reuters, this, so this is Reuters putting this out there. I'm not, I'm not disputing the report, but I think it says something about the report that, A, these stakeholders are unnamed, and B, no one else is independently reporting this story. They're certainly chasing it now that Reuters has it out there. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I look at this differently than I look at the recent news of Steve Ballmer stepping down in the next 12 months because Bill Gates is the founder. He is the chairman. I don't think that while he did select Steve Ballmer to be his replacement, I don't think that anybody really looks at his chairmanship of this company and gives it the the same kind of grade that people give Steve Ballmer's tenure as CEO. No, certainly not. And I mean, I think that's why we always like to see sort of that separation uh, between the CEO office and the, and the chairman's uh, office, because, it, it, you know, we you want to you want to spread out that power. The consolidation of power then is where you could really start questioning, uh, you know, the day to day operations of the company. And that's really the CEO is going to be more focused on something like that. I, I, I mean, 
Microsoft has a big fat target on its back right now. I mean, yeah. it has just been in a 10-year lull, and there has been no innovation. Uh, every effort they have uh, you know, put forth to try to unseat Apple, and even Google to an extent, is just not really – uh, not really worked out so well. So I mean, on the, on the one hand, I mean, I think we all, I think we all agree pretty much that, that Steve Ballmer needed to step down. So I think, yep. I think that that's the right move. I don't know. Like we hear all this talk about Alan Mulally's now, like number two in the books as far as the, the betting money goes to replace him. You know, I don't, I don't really think that's actually a good move there. I think we've talked about this before. I think the troubles at Microsoft are more innovation related as opposed to culture related. Uh, I don't know that having Bill Gates step down necessarily changes anything like that. You know, and, and further, it just goes to show. I mean, whether there's any substance to this report or not, I mean, I think it just lends itself to. Oftentimes, you see these big stakeholders uh, get in there and and try to shake things up, thinking that they know what's best for the company because of the fact that they hold such a big position. And that's just rarely the case. And yet, Manny. They are not so set in their conviction that they're willing to share their names with Reuters. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, say what you want about Carl Icahn, yeah. Dan Loeb, and other activist investors. And certainly, we've said a variety of things about those guys. But at least they put their name behind what they're saying. Sure. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, Bill Gates, you know, I think he, he's, getting, he, he's gotten off a little bit easy with Microsoft only because you know he left in and I can't recall if he actually left in 99 or 2000 was, I think it was 2000 2000 so he he left really at Microsoft's the apex of Microsoft's valuation and sort of you know hold on He the, went out the, on top baby. He went out <laughs> on top. So and C Bomber kind of had an unfair disadvantage going in. So but to you know how much does he to Bill Gates still have on sort of the the cultural and the innovative part of Microsoft? I, I think very little. So I, I don't know what that would actually do. It does raise an interesting point. This this report from Reuters did did raise an interesting point in that when Microsoft first went public in the mid eighties, Gates' stake in the company was nearly fifty percent, and under a preset agreement, he's been selling off somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty million shares per year. At that rate, by twenty eighteen, he's no longer going to have any financial stake in the company. Mm. So Bill Gates stepping down as chairman, that's, I think that's a, a significant and important conversation to have. I just don't think now is necessarily the right time, particularly when, I don't know, if nothing else, I would want his counsel at the table. I would want his voice represented when it comes time to pick the next CEO. And I'm no longer a shareholder, but I would want his voice at the table when picking the next CEO. And then, as we get closer to 2018, then let's start to think about who's going to lead the board. Right on. Yeah. He's the, he's the founder. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, a couple words about the the event uh, up in Canada. First of all, I want to thank uh, the members who showed up, uh, the very nice people at the University of Toronto where we had the event, um, and we um, unveiled our latest service, which is Stock Advisor Canada. Um, this is a brand new service specifically for Canadian investors, led by Ian Butler. Um, uh, we have a team of analysts working with Ian every month. Um, 75% of the team is Canadian. Uh, we, we do have one, one U.S. Uh, analyst, Taylor Muckerman, who's uh, got a, a background in energy. He's our mole. Uh, he's, our, he's our mole, exactly. Uh, but it's a, it's a really interesting uh, new service with a, a Canadian stock every month and a U.S. stock that is selected from among the best buy lists of rule breakers, hidden gems, income investor. Um, so for anyone looking to check it out, uh, all the details at fool.ca slash charter 
and then another slash. I don't know why that's the URL, but that last slash is important. So let me say it again. <laughs> All the details, fool.ca slash charter, and then another slash. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but uh, I'll simply say we had a very nice time in Toronto, and it was especially nice for me to eventually get to Toronto <laughs> because I was detained by immigration officials at the right. airport in now Ottawa. the story comes out. So um, uh, I just want to say that uh, they're some of the nicest immigration uh, security <laughs> officials <laughs> of in are, the world. Chris, of course they are. Um, someone asked me at, at, the, at our all-company meeting earlier today, how long were you with them? And I said, well, I was with them long enough that I can use the word detained. No one else in our traveling party was that they just breezed right through security, but I was officially detained by immigration. Any, anything other than breezing right by yeah, would qualify yeah. as detained. Yeah, it was one of those, huh, okay, so I'm probably going to miss my connecting flight. And um, anyway, um, you can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. Um, a tweet from Daniel Rosen in Denver, Colorado, who wrote, After too many trips to JCPenney in the last few weeks, I understand why market foolery is always bashing on them. Um, <laughs> always? Uh, yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 but he, he included at the end of his tweet the hashtag indecisive groom. Uh-oh. Oh, so so I, I I take that to mean that um, he's not indecisive about whether or not he's getting married. I take it he's indecisive about perhaps what he's going to wear and and that sort of JC thing. JCPenney's got some potentially bargain options. I don't know. Assume. All I'm going to say is Daniel, just from my own wedding experience, just just don't overthink it. Just just go with whatever your lovely bride wants to do. Just, it, I mean, isn't that really the way? Yeah, let's oh, be very clear here. The word man. indecisive I mean, should not never yeah, end yeah, the don't, you don't, don't, just, don't, mm. just, just, that's fine. You get what you pay for. And if you're taking a risk <laughs> oh, there with oh, JCPenney okay. to, uh, you know, clothe you as, as far as your wedding garb goes, I mean, man, if you come out that day for the wedding and that stuff's not ready and yeah. you get the screws put to you, there's going to be one unhappy just bride. Don't overthink it, Daniel. Just, just... Just go with whatever your bride is looking to do. <laughs> um, a bunch of IPOs happening today. Uh, worth pointing out probably that we've had more IPOs to date this year, most since 2007. So certainly a, a big year for IPOs. Uh, and these are at, at least uh, names that people will recognize. Burlington Stores, which is the parent company of Burlington Coat Factory. Uh, Remax, the the real estate company. And Empire State Realty, which is a, a REIT but it is the owner of the Empire State Building. Uh, just checking the numbers for coming in the studio. Burlington Stores shares up more than 45% on day one. Remax up more than 21% day one. Empire State Real, uh, Realty just up uh, 3%. Um, these are these are companies, at least uh, one of which uh, you've you've looked into a little bit. Yes, man. Sure. Well, first, before I get to that one, I'll just say I, I love the fact that we can actually you can actually own a piece of the Empire State Building now. Yes. You can literally own... Yes, I love it. Uh, that, so, that that is one of. By the way, that is one of those places that, if you go to New York State uh, City, you got to go to the Empire oh, yeah. State Building. I, I realize there are times, perhaps, when you travel and you think, "Well, I don't want to su- do something that's too touristy." No, no, go to the Empire State. <laughs> right. Building. I mean, everything's shut down here in DC. So right. I, I, I'm pretty sure the Empire State Building's open in New York City this this week. Uh, no, Remax. This is a big one. This is a company that's been private for for a couple decades. Uh, you know, it follows on the heels of Reology, which is the. Um, uh, own Century 21 Coldwell Banker, uh, one of their big competitors. They went, they IPO'd last year. It's had a great run. Um, and Remax, here comes Remax with 92,000 agents, one of the biggest wow. uh, real estate brokers in the world. It it seems like a good time. I mean, if I look at what Reology's done, if I look at what Zillow and Truly have done since their IPOs and, and just the, the strength in the residential real estate market of the yeah. past couple of years, 
seems like a great time for Remax to uh, come public. At the same time, the cynic in me says, well, geez, is this, here we go. Is this a, uh, maybe another top or a signal of a top in, in the real estate market, just given the fact that most of the time, most cases, IPOs, you know, they're, they're, they're selling for a reason. They're selling because they can get the greatest value for their equity. And in this case with Remax, it's such a, you know, it's such in, so integrated into our real estate um, economy in the U.S. And so maybe it, it, it makes me a little skeptical, but certainly an interesting IPO to watch. Jason? You know, I, when we saw Remax uh, with his IPO, I mean, the, the first question that immediately comes to mind is, is Zillow and, and kind of how they work together. Is this is this a friend or a foe of Zillow? Mm, and I, you know, I'd seen question. not too terribly long ago where Zillow had actually entered into an agreement with Remax to to go ahead and filter all those Remax listings through to Zillow's platform. And so I think that you know, Remax is, seems it's just it's almost uh, it seems like it's just everywhere in, in regard to real estate. You know, you see a for sale sign and. Seems like Remax is is Every other there, time. Yeah, but right. I mean, you know, having that access also to Zillow, which I, I think Zillow is proving out uh, as time goes on here to be sort of that go to platform, that go to app whenever you know someone wants to go browse for real estate and look at houses and whatnot. So uh, you know, I think in this case they actually work very well together, and probably will serve as a uh, as a you know relatively decent partnership for the coming. Yeah, years. I mean, the, the last agent, real estate agent I worked with, he he wasn't Remax, but he I remember the, what he told me was when I asked him about Zillow, was he said, well, of course, you know. Of course, I'm on Zillow. I'm in Zillow's premier yeah. agent program, and and he said, I don't know an agent why, as an agent why you wouldn't want to be on Zillow's platform because it's just another way for you to get you know to get leads and to get you know in front of people. So anyway, yeah, I, cer- I certainly think these companies will work together for a long time. And I haven't really looked into uh, Burlington stores, but it it seems to me like the Burlington Coat Factory anyway. That that seems like it has potential, not just for growth, but it also seems like it could be one of those specialty retailers that we've talked about before that has a little bit more upside potential than just sort of a general retailer. Yeah, I think it does. And actually, this is really interesting to look at this because uh, you know, Burlington stores are huge. They're like 80,000 square feet. Yeah. It's tremendous. Uh, but they specialize, the, the category they specialize in, it's called the off-price apparel channel, which essentially is just like you know name brands that are selling their wares to Burlington because they're either overrun or canceled orders or maybe slight errors in the the orders or whatever it may be. And so Burlington is able to get this stuff at a relatively decent price and then sell it for just for just dirt cheap uh, prices. And, and so it, it brings a lot of people into their stores because of the value proposition and the market uh, for this uh, off-price apparel channel is just growing. I mean, according to According to the NPD group, it's grown 10 times faster than just general retail wow. uh, here over the past three years. So there is something there, especially you know when the purse strings start getting a little tight. Uh, it's not terribly surprising to see the stock popping today. When you look at the way uh, it was valued for the IPO, it was at an EV to EBITDA uh, multiple of about six and a half. And when you look at something like a TJ Maxx or a Raw Stores, which is kind of like a similar competitor, those yeah. they're selling more around like ten. And wow. so I think that that pop is is you know part of that today is that I think just a lot of people kind of getting in there on what they see as a decent value for a company that yeah they have I think some runway for growth. Their strategy is to open about twenty five new stores every year, and right now at about five hundred stores, they're looking to maybe get to around a thousand. So there is something there, uh, you know, some time to play out here. That, that's a little tough for the company, though, right? Because on the one hand, you want to see that pop. On the other hand, too big a pop. And if you're an executive at Burlington, you're thinking, "Well, we mispriced the IPO. <laughs> oh, yeah, we left money on the table." Absolutely. And we had, yeah, we had a couple of interesting conversations about that. Is that certain companies that go public, they want a little bit of a pop because right. it just. Yeah. 
it gives a pot, it just kind of gives a, 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 an early momentum to the company yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but Jason and I were talking about another interesting fact about this Burlington story is that this is another example of a company that was public. Yes. Previously, got yep. taken private, um, and I can't remember the group that took them private. It was Bain. Bain, okay, Bain. Yep. There, there you go. So Romney took them private now, <laughs> uh, and then you know, then it, it it comes public again, and presumably, I don't have looked at the balance sheet of the. the they have company. a whopping load of debt, man. It's uh, let me see here. The debt load there's it's over a billion. It's like one point. One point five billion, and I, I'm, I'm going to venture like to say that it wasn't that high before they went. Yeah, one point six. Yeah, one point six okay. billion. Well, so it's just another example of if sort of the, the the churn that you see with private equity is you know I can take over a company cheap, take it private, load it up with debt, and then IPO it a few years later, usually at a at a premium, and make out like bandits. You know, and I I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this out there because it's a. When my when my daughters were born, I found the value in Jimboree. You know, it actually it, it permitted a stupid male like me to actually be able to pick out clothes for little girls, you know, reasonably well, and I could buy them and just have them shipped to my house. Jimboree was just a total go to, and it just it made me look at it from an investment perspective. At that time, it was public. I bought yep. shares and did very well with it because Bain came in and actually bought Jimboree out and took them private. Uh, to me, Jimboree was just a tremendous specialty retailer with a great leadership team. I would not be surprised at all to see something like that happen with Jimboree over the course of the next few years, too. I Good think, spot I think out that again. Bain, well, yeah, I just think that Bain jumps in there. I think they could make a, a, a pretty good killing there with that concept because there was a lot of growth left to, left to, to play out there, and they just they just really did something special there in in their uh, children's retail space. So uh, it wouldn't shock me at all to see Jimboree get get thrown back to the public markets here uh, in the next couple of years with. A little bit. All right. To go with. Uh, no doubt. Before we wrap up, obviously, the uh, the government shutdown at the crux of it all is uh, the implementation and funding of Obamacare. I should mention we have a special free report entitled Everything You Need to Know About Obamacare. Um, and it's a, a great report. I think, Maddie, this is one that you worked on. Um, uh, what it means for your taxes, the impact on your portfolio, um, why hospital stocks are the big winners, what it means for health insurers, big pharma, et cetera. Uh, and it's free. So you can get it simply by dropping an email to Obamacare at fool.com. That's Obamacare at fool.com. Matt Argusing and Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.